Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast, where we examine the art and science of games. As always, I am Josh Blaser, and we got a great cast for you tonight. We're going to be catching up with Watchet Eye Games on their upcoming, or by the time you're actually listening to this cast, recently released adventure game, Unavowed. Knock on wood, yes. <laughs> Unless anything... Uh, demonic i guess happens in the next week or so <laughs> <laughs> but uh please welcome back to the podcast lead designer and owner at wadget eye dave gilbert hi hey dave it's great to talk to you again how are you doing i'm doing good i'm uh pretty the game pretty much went gold a few weeks ago so i'm still decompressing <laughs> <laughs> yep and for those of you listening to this right now we did an interview with dave i believe it was be about two or three maybe a little bit more months ago live i'll include a link to that archived in the description down below but as i was just saying dave has just finished unavowed which if you again for those of you listening should be out and this cast will be out around that time as well. So I guess first off, congratulations on getting Unavowed done. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I've played my press bill and I really enjoyed it. And we're going to be talking about Unavowed as spoiler-free as possible in our cast today. So if you are brand new or haven't had a chance to play it yet, we're going to try to keep things relatively spoiler-free. But... A few may slip in here and there, so just beware for those of you listening to us right now. So, I guess with that said, to get things started, I guess uh, we'll need to do introductions about Wadget Eye, but for anyone who doesn't know what Unavowed is, uh, what is, I guess, the general pitch for the game? Okay, the, the one-sentence quick pitch mm-hmm. is a uh, urban fantasy set in New York. Um, more detail, it is a, um, you play someone who was possessed by a demon and has recently been freed. And, uh, the goal of the game is to investigate, uh, go around the city and put right what your demon went, uh, put, put right <laughs> what your demon put wrong, which is kind of like the intro to quantum. Link, exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I already finished the game, and I really did enjoy it. And I do have a lot of questions for you regarding the design. So sure. I guess my first one is, I know when we first did a cast, this was probably like three, four years ago. I think this was right around the time, either just before or after the release of the final episode of the Blackwell series. Well, I know. It seems like it's been like a decade <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> With um, un- now I remember when we spoke about that Blackwell was originally designed to be one game, all combined with the episodes, but it was split up due to just the amount of work and time that was needed. With Unavowed, was there ever a period where you thought this would turn into another episode structure, or did it always have like that complete you know from start to finish approach? I, I wanted it to be a um. A uh, what you call it, like a its own separate thing. I didn't want it to be episodic. Although while I was making it, I wondered if maybe I should have, because um, it's very mission. It's got a mission based structure. Mm-hmm. Each mission is its own story, uh, kind of wrapped around a larger story arc. But with each mission, I found myself having to really hold back because I'm like, wow, I could really make a whole game's worth of stuff mm-hmm. based on this story, but I really gotta. I really got to restrain myself and keep it very short and very tight. So I could have made it episodic. I decided not to. I wanted a self-contained story because 
you know, I, I just, I, I did that with Blackwell. I didn't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to be self-contained. Mm-hmm. And did that change like your approach to like the overall design of Unveil compared to Blackwell, knowing that it was going to be just one big project as opposed to the smaller like vignettes? Well, I knew that going into it. I knew that the, it wasn't a game that could be small because I wanted that um, – I, I always keep using the term Bioware because that's the easiest way to describe it. Uh, that Bioware party buildings thing where you um, choose who goes out with you on missions and based on who you choose, it, it changes. You know, they, they uh, Some of the characters might know the area. They might know an NPC. They react in different ways to things you do. And I've always found that very satisfying. And that is something that I wanted to uh, try doing. But as a result, it could not be a small game mm-hmm. because I wanted you to take as full advantage of that as possible. I wanted you to try as many combinations of party members as possible so I couldn't just have one mission. It had to be several. So you could... Pretty much try at least every combination at least once. Uh, and you'd probably go back and try different combinations on different missions, but it couldn't be a small game as a result. So uh, that's why it ended up being as big as it was. Mm-hmm. And I've only listened to part of the commentary. I always love when your director's commentaries and your games. If you can they... listen to my stammery uh, <laughs> commentary for that long, then you've got more tolerance. <laughs> and one part about it was regarding the different party combinations. And we're going mm-hmm. to, I think this may get a little bit spoiler, but we're going to try to resist it. But from the commentary, you discuss how the original plan was to basically have every combination of of your party yeah. basically work. So if you want Eli and uh, – why can't I think of their names right now? <laughs> uh, uh, KK and what was what's the bestower's name? Logan. Oh, thank you. Logan. And if you just wanted Logan and like if you wanted to have like the extra characters besides Eli and Mandala, it could have been possible. But – yeah. I know from the commentary it was eventually changed just to due to the amount of work that was required. Yeah, I mean there were several reasons. I mean originally there was a this, this isn't spoilery, mm-hmm. so I can I, I have discussed this before without spoilers, <laughs> so I can I can do it. Okay. There were going to be five companions altogether at first, and you're going to choose any combination of them. Uh, but then I realized as I was designing it um, that Eli and Mandana are the two veterans. Mm-hmm. They're there from the beginning. So if you encounter something weird and supernatural. Uh, if they're not with you, I found it a lot more difficult to explain what was going on. Like mm-hmm. you'd call them up and they'd tell you on the phone, which seemed very clunky and silly. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, they have to be with you. One of them has to be with you on every mission. So that brought the number of um, paths from – there were like 10 uh, total combinations of party members, of party combinations. And that brought it down to like I think about seven And, but even still that seemed like a lot. And so I I cut one of the companion characters, um, a muse named uh, Calliope, who um, Mm -hmm. we call Kali in the game. She was cut. uh, And so that brought it down to five, which was still a lot, but it was manageable. That was a lot more manageable doing five different um, paths through each mission. So that's what we ended up with. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like the overall like design, I guess uh, another question for you, Dave, with, each, as you just said, with each chapter basically allowing for multiple playthroughs, 
how did you approach things from a design perspective in terms of mm -hmm. I want to have I want to design this puzzle for this specific group or for uh, Eli I want this one to be for Mandala and you know how did you put all that together <laughs> you know it's funny I didn't realize this until um, uh, until I started testing it that and having a having Techno Babylon with a character named Mandala. <laughs> And having unavowed with a character named Mandana, <laughs> uh, everyone confuses them, and that's what's happening now. Um, uh, okay, well, yes, um, it was complicated, but what I did was I tried to approach it from um, every character has their own um, ability and their own source of knowledge. So Eli can – I mean um, – Eli can fire read. Logan talks to ghosts. Vicky knows every cop in the city. Mandana can get into hidden places because she's very agile and can climb things. So I, I figured in order to progress, you needed to learn a certain bit of information. Uh, and so where – like, okay, here's a ghost. How does that ghost – how can that ghost give you this information versus how can this police officer give you information? Or is there something that can be fire read that can give you that information? Or is there something Mandana can get into that can give you that information? Um, and I kind of extrapolated out from there. So uh, that made it a little uh, less overwhelming and more manageable. But it was still complicated because, you know, yeah, I wanted each combination to be unique and interesting. So I wanted different combinations of characters to enable you to get that specific bit of information. Mm -hmm. So it required a lot of testing, uh, a lot of banging my head against the wall and 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 just playing around with it because I didn't want to cheat and have just have like an object not be there if you had a certain combination versus another or a, a character just not tell you something if a certain character is not there I wanted I wanted nothing to change except who you brought with you so um, everything else would change based on who you brought with you not I didn't want the environment itself to change mm -hmm. and one thing that I did notice that uh, I thought it was very interesting was that once you have two people on like the scene, you can't mm -hmm. swap them around because I could definitely nope. see that temptation to just <laughs> keep going back and forth and trying to get the best one. I debated that a lot, but I decided that I wanted every mission to be solvable and to be um, uh, what's the word? I wanted every mission to be satisfying with every combination. And I wanted you to be locked into your choice. I want you to, here's your choice. You made your choice of these two characters. You are stuck with them for this mission. Uh, you can't just go back and change. And also that it was a coding nightmare mm -hmm. to try and figure it out. Cause like you, all these variables are set with a certain character being there in mind to go back and suddenly change that in the middle of a mission was just going to break my brain. <laughs> so I, I, just, I kept it simple and it, it sort of, um, it dovetails nicely with the theme of the game, which is choices. Mm -hmm. And that's another really interesting point about Unavowed compared to Blackwell. With a, there's a lot more permutations in terms of the story. Now, mm -hmm. I guess as another a bit of a, I guess a writing challenge for you, Dave. How was it writing the different permutations in terms of how the stories can play out, depending on po on both the player's choices and who they bring on each mission? Um, well, it was, it was more, I wouldn't say it was hard. It was just more time consuming because mm -hmm. I knew going into it, this is all stuff I can do already. I knew I could write interactive stories. I know I could write adventure game puzzles. I know I could write good characters. 
but this was just kind of another layer of that. It was the same thing that I've always done and was well within my comfort zone. There was just a lot more of it and there was just a lot more um, variables and, and choices and things to keep track of. So I wouldn't say it was harder. It was just a lot more time consuming, mm. which is why it took three years to get this <laughs> game out. And speaking about a lot more time consuming, did that kind of uh, challenge have anything to do with the – or did was there anything special involving the puzzles? Because as we said, each uh, pair can solve every chapter, but there are mm-hmm. different ways of doing it. And I can think of a few examples all the time I have, but I'm not going to say them for spoiler reasons. I mean I'm not – I've never really been a puzzle guy to start mm-hmm. with. Uh, so, I mean, there are a couple of, um, puzzles that the testers have gotten stumped on, one of which involving, a, a a code in the wall street area that everyone seems to get stuck on. And I feel bad about that. Um, but I've never really been good about puzzles. I've always been good about the one thing I always try to focus on is immersion. And I want you to feel good playing the game. I want you to feel like your choice, the choices that you make matter and are personal to you. Like from the very beginning of the game, you choose your gender and your origin story. And the origin story actually is referenced a lot over the course of the game. If you're, um, if you played the bartender origin, you go into the game already knowing Logan versus if you played the actor where you don't, it's almost completely different experience. So each choice really matters and has weight. And that was something that was very important to me when designing and and making the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that I know confused some fans when they first saw Unavowed was the action that was going to be in it. Because from playing it, there are definitely some action scenes to it, but the player's role is kept relatively, I guess, calm in a matter of speaking. I would call them action-charged, not action scenes. <laughs> like, they're high-intensity, you're on a speedboat, and a, sea, a monster's chasing you, what do you do? But it's not fighting, it's not combat. Um, you're not, you know, it's not like a like visceral, mm-hmm. tactile combat thing. It's a puzzle-based game. You get through these situations in a traditional adventure game way. So, yeah, I know that that was kind of... Um, maybe a bit misleading from the trailers because it's got like a, I guess the language that was used, the visual language, it's like, it looks like a side-based, turn-based Final Fantasy type of battle because they line up in precisely that way. Like Mandana whips out her sword facing the monster and it looks like a Final Fantasy style battle. It's not. And that was the one thing I, I had a lot of trouble in terms of um, messaging because I kept using the term RPG and Bioware to describe the game. So you think combat, stats, armor, weapons, that kind of stuff, uh, and having, you know, the Mandana with the sword and Eli with the fire magic coming out of his hands and, and Vicky with the gun certainly didn't help. <laughs> but, so that was a bit of a messaging fail on my part. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no, uh, there is action, but there is not no combat, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, we've already talked about a few things that were change. Uh, having a colleague not be a partner, and of course reducing the possible choices. In terms of gameplay or game design elements, were there any other elements kind of left on the cutting room floor while you were designing Unavowed? I mean, there's story bits that were definitely cut. Things that were just, uh, that just made the story 
a lot more complicated if I had left them in and I decided, no, this is dumb. I'll cut it. But that's the case with every game. Um, I can't really think of anything specifically. I know I had a, I had originally wanted to write a codex, like a journal that listed all the supernatural creatures and it would have kind of a personality and be a character of its own that it would kind of like, that the descriptions would like change and, uh, become like more angry or more happy or more funny depending on like how depending on your choices throughout the game but that was just a ridiculous feature that would have been <laughs> way too much work so i did not do that um stuff like that um i can't really think of anything specific but there definitely there's definitely stuff that got cut it was mostly story based stuff there was one mission that got cut um, there's one borough that is conspicuously missing. You go to every borough of New York except for Queens. There's uh, That was the one that got cut because I just couldn't make it work and I was kind of running out of time and running out of sanity. So I decided not to uh, do that one. Um, but other than that, no, it's pretty much the game I wanted to make. Great. Now, in terms of the story and the characters, we're going to talk about the writing next. But before we do that, in terms of the uh, various chapters, was there any chapter that was like particularly your favorite to either write or design the general structure around? Oh yeah, Chinatown for sure. Um, in fact, it's it's there's a reason why it's the longest mission in the game. I don't want to spoil it, but there's this one character um, that you meet halfway through it. That was so much fun to write for. I deliberately expanded the section that you meet her in um, just so you could spend more time with her. And uh, you probably know who Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Uh, I just had, I was not expecting it to be so much fun, but the result is that the mission is twice as long as any of the others. And I thought Mm -hmm. that would be a problem, but everyone else loves the mission as well. So uh, I guess I did good. (laughs) Great. But uh, with that said, I want to touch on the writing of Unavowed for the next few minutes. Sure. Because I, I really did enjoy it. And like I said earlier, I was a big fan of Blackwell as well. And one thing that I want to talk about with you, Dave, is kind of your writing style mm-hmm. for these various characters. And I really do like how there's this, I guess, this sense of like a groundedness to the story and to the characters. Oh, but I you. always like when these... Yeah, no problem. I always like it when the characters themselves, they kind of... It's not so much that they're like real people, but they tend to be developed. Like, they're, it seems like they've already been established, I guess, if I want to say that. And I just want to ask you more about that kind of process when it comes to developing the characters for your games. Um, for the most part, they're kind of... Uh I always feel like I I need to connect with my main characters in some way or form. Uh, A lot of them are various aspects of my own personality, given a voice. Um, And that that helps me connect to them a little bit more. But often, yeah, I do try to keep them grounded. I try to give them a history or or at least a a foundation in which to uh, start from. Uh, I know that um, Vicky has a very strong family connection. Um, like when you first meet her, you basically know her entire family history. Uh, and of course, Logan, um, a lot of his personality is tied to his regrets and his recovering from alcoholism. And that sort of created a foundation, like the, the prism in which he saw the world was kind of through AA, um, Mm -hmm. like buzzwords and ways of thinking. And I approached all of his dialogue through that. Um, Mandana of course is like 400 years old and she, I thought of her. She, all of her dialogue is sort of filtered through the history of New York. Like she looks at a street corner and she can tell you like 
like, yeah, I, I know the tree that was here 300 years ago, <laughs> or, you know, I know the, I, I used to, you know, hang out with a cow that was over there. Like that's how she sees everything. And I kind of based, I kind of found a foundation for each character and kind of filtered everything they thought, everything they said through that. And I think that's kind of how you, that that's, that's, that's not what the characters are totally made of, but that is a good starting place for them because people are human. They're not just one thing. Um, yeah. but that is often like where I started from when I got lo- whenever I get lost in the weeds, uh, when it comes to like, okay, how would this character react or I'm not connecting to the character. I'm not sure what the, um, I'm not feeling it. I always think about where they came from and how they, that would, um, how that would color their perception of what's going on. And that often would help me get to where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And with like developing the characters, you also have the world. And even though both Blackwell and Unavail take place in New York, Unavail obviously has a lot more in terms of the lore and overall world building. And there's always been that challenge when it comes to stories like this in terms of how much do you tell the player and how much do you just kind of like let flow into the background. And I guess with Unavail, like, what did you decide in terms of how much it hit the player over the head with in terms of what's going on, like the overall world of the game? Well, with, from the beginning, I always knew it would be a character based story. Um, with, uh, how the, the focus always had to be on these four characters. Uh, so everything always came back to them somehow or another. Um, in terms of the lore and world building, I didn't focus on that as much. That has never really been my strength. It's there and it kind of cohesively fits together uh, for the most part. Um, but for the most part, it's like I didn't really feel the need to describe like where dragons came <laughs> from. They're just they're just there, you know. And, and that sort of because it's urban fantasy, I was able to. I was able to skip a lot of that, you know. Like, yeah, all right, it's it's a friggin' it's a merman. Like, you know what those are. Or it's a ghost. I don't have to explain it. Or, you know, yeah, it's 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 a fairy, you know, from it's an evil fairy. I don't need to describe where they came from. There it is. You know what it is. And so I I didn't want to waste a lot of time on the lore building and the reasons behind everything or like why magic works or how it works or, you know, any laws or reasons behind it. It's more I want you to hang out with these four characters and enjoy being with them. That was my goal. That was my focus above everything else. Hmm. And the, the, you know, the magic and the lore is there, but it wasn't my priority. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. This may be a tough one for you, Dave, but who was your favorite character to write for? It's hard to say. I like them all for different reasons. Um, I had a blast writing Vicky <laughs> because I guess she's the most human of the four characters she's she's the most grounded she doesn't have any special powers her powers are knows every cop in new york because <laughs> she's a cop herself so or former cop um she's just it was like the first time i ever wrote a character who was just a complete sarcastic ass but not in a like obnoxious way she just i just adored writing her because i could just have her say anything she has no filter and i loved that um i did enjoy writing for eli because He's probably like closest to me in terms of personality. So I was able to find his voice a lot quicker. Um, 
I yeah, so those two were my two favorite to write. Those were the two easiest to write. The other two I had a little bit more trouble finding. Mm-hmm. It took a little bit more work to get there. Mm-hmm. But Eli and Vicky, I managed to get right away. Mm-hmm. I really like Eli as well. And without spoiling too much, I really like uh, Maldala for her resolution in the uh, Wall Street. <laughs> what happens to her there? Oh yeah, well, because my, my, that's my favorite thing. It was uh, that was, I guess, if you say something that didn't get into the game, um, Mandana is uh, uh, half. Um, her mother was a um, uh, an, an Irish pirate from the 1700s, and her father is a an ancient jinn. So she's like part Irish. And <laughs> my original my story bible for her is that she'd occasionally, when she gets startled or surprised or really angry. Um, she'll start using Irish slang. <laughs> and I, my goal for her was like, okay, if she ever gets drunk, she'll just really start laying it on. <laughs> and there's this one, it's, you only have a one in three chance of seeing it. But if you have her on this mission, she can get drunk and she will just like completely turn into like a swearing Irish lady. <laughs> and it's great. Um, yeah, no, that was fun to write too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to try and get it right. Mandala? Mandana. Mandana. I'm gonna butcher that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just like. Mandala is the um, gland in the uh, the you know the gland in the brain. Uh, <laughs> Mandana is the name of some ancient Persian queen. All right. Yeah, but that was definitely a lot of fun to watch when it happened. And mm-hmm. uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, and this is probably going to be the closest we'll get to a spoiler. So for those of you listening to this right now, cover your ears for the next few minutes. <laughs> I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. But on the final, final section of Unavowed, this is when you basically have your full party available. And this was kind of like the, I guess, the grand culmination of all your choices in the game. And yes. this part definitely feels like the most different compared to the other aspects because of that. And I was just wondering, in terms of designing that section, now I haven't listened to the commentary yet, but I'm, I'm sure I'll get to that soon. But was it was there anything like different in terms of coming up with how you wanted the game to end? Mm. Um Yeah, I mean it was very easy to like I had a lot of ambitions for it. Uh, I really wanted, you know, you know, you always want this big epic ending. You always want like everything to, you know, you want, you always want something big and epic. And then when you get to that point, you realize that it just doesn't call for it. Something more human Mm -hmm. and more personal is called for. And so that is what I I had to fight a lot of those instincts to go for the, to go for the big, to go for the big moments. And instead I I went for the more personal ones instead. Cause again, it always, it always had to come back to the characters. So when you, when you, when you play the game, you'll see what I mean, but that's where I always had to, I always had to keep my focus on the characters, keep it on Mm -hmm. them. Uh, And I figure um, I came up with, I made up this term (laughs) about three years ago uh, that never caught on. Uh, I called it the having your dinner moment. And it's based on the the dinner scene in Breaking Bad where uh, Walter White, Jesse Pinkman and Skylar are having dinner. And it's this wonderful scene. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But it only works because everyone is really invested by that point. And I call the having your dinner moment the moment where you just can assume the audience is invested and you can stop having to try to make them invested and now you can make it pay off. And that whole like by the final section of the game, 
I just have to assume you're invested by that point. <laughs> so I'm going to make it pay off. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree with you, Dave, about keeping things more character-focused because it's a thing we also see a lot in horror or survival horror, either movie or video games, where the story is, you know, if you fail, the entire world is destroyed and, you know, all time stops. And at that point, it's very easy to lose sight of the individual characters or their own impact on the story. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, I – yeah. I agree. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> and as one final, I guess, quick semi-spoiler, I will say that the old, like the big twist of Unavowed, I was not seeing that one coming. So bravo yes. to you there, Dave, on yes. that. <laughs> Swank, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> and for those of you listening, we no, we're not going to say what that is. <laughs> so go play the game now and figure that yeah, and see I for yourself. So. Seeing the tester's reaction to that was great. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, getting back to the design of Unavowed, and one thing that I want to touch on, again, as you said earlier, with kind of your influence from Bioware, and both mm-hmm. in terms of the party and the origins, and I remember another part of the developer or the commentary was the fact that I think you originally wanted to do more with, I think it was the, uh, uh, the actor's origin. Yes, yeah, because... Um like I, I'm sorry. Did you finish asking your question? No, that was. I was just on. A, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, because like I said, if you did the cop origin, you go into the game already knowing Vicky, and if you did the um, bartender origin, you went into the game already knowing Logan. And the original intent was that if you did the actor origin, you would have already gone in knowing Calliope. Uh, but since Calliope got cut. As a companion character, she does show up in the game, but since she was cut as a companion character, the I felt that the actor origin maybe wasn't quite as um, satisfying as the other two. Um, but if you play the game, if you st- the first time you play the game, if you pick actor, I guess it's a case of if you don't know it's there, you don't know that you're missing anything. Because <laughs> I know a lot of the testers picked actor. Um, I don't know why actor was so popular, but (laughs) a lot of people chose actor first and they still loved it. So they didn't, they didn't know anything was missing. So it was okay. Okay. But I do regret that because I, I really, I really wanted that to be a lot more rewarding than it ended up being. Interesting that a lot of people chose actor. I went with bartender first just to see like more like the personal side. Yeah. Uh, cop is always the least, um, was always the least chosen. I guess because it seems like the most generic, mm. but yet it's it's I, I think it's the it's the origin story that I had the most fun writing. <laughs> right, and uh, speaking about like kind of developing the various uh, origins out in terms of like I guess or I'm sorry in terms of the actual world itself. I know when we first spoke about Blackwell, obviously New York and the setting has been a pivotal. Uh, point of uh, inspiration and just in terms of the structure for the game. With Unavowed, mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, of course, about taking place in every one of the boroughs except for Queens. I guess, w- was there anything else interesting about uh, having New York be, once again, the backdrop for one of your games? And did you handle things any differently compared to Blackwell? 
I it's I I never really thought of you know a lot of people say oh New York is practically a character in your games and et cetera et cetera and I guess that's true but I guess it's I don't really set out to do that it's only because this is what I'm familiar with so I'm able to set stuff there and give it um I guess a more um a texture of authenticity because I know the city. I live here. I've lived here for almost 20 years. Um, so I know the city very well. I don't really go into it with any particular, I mean, it's hard to say. I know that there was one line where, um, a character says, you know, Oh, those idiots in the Bronx. And then the actor just said, that is so New York. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I guess it is like I'd some, cause I mean, I'm a New Yorker. So I just, I just wrote that without thinking of it um, and stuff like that. I'm able to to tell that story because I am part of it. If that, mm-hmm. that sounds a little pretentious, <laughs> but <laughs> that's basically it. All right. Uh, I think one of my favorite like little just like side uh, moments was when you went into like the bagel shop in one of the areas and the guy's like every kind of bagel ever made. <laughs> that place does, does exist. Not that a specific store, but there is a rainbow bagel shop in Williamsburg, uh, and it's based on that. Nice. I've been trying to find, as complete tangent, I'm trying to find a good bagel place around here, and it's uh, going to be a lot harder than having supernatural elements, I'm afraid. Or uh, just being in New York. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Plenty of good bagel places here. Of course. That could be our next tangent. We can stop the cast and just talk about good bagel places for the next 20 minutes. But I think with that... Uh, without getting too uh, too much into spoilers in terms of choices and gameplay, I'm about out of questions, so uh, we'll probably wrap things up. I think in the next 10 to 15 minutes, if that works for you, Dave, maybe even a little bit shorter than that. Sure. But I guess while I'm trying to think of some more questions for you, in terms of the overall story or design of Unavowed, are there any aspects that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up now? I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anything. All right. I, Other than I'm, 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 I'm. I mean, what my usual thing that I say is that I'm just grateful to have been able to come this far. That I've, that the fans, uh, that the fans and everyone who uh, continues to buy and play our games and keep us in business has enabled me to continue doing what I love for so long is something that I just am eternally and always grateful for every day. So that's that's all I have to say there. <laughs> Great. I guess here's a question. I know this is one whenever we have these talks it always comes up, but I guess what is next for Wadget Eye? Um, well, I uh, I can't really say nothing is set in stone at the moment, although we are doing a sequel to Techno Babylon and we are I am working on someone I'm working on someone <laughs> working with someone else on a um a, a very new kind of game uh hasn't there's nothing not far enough along to announce yet, but it's something very different, but uh, something I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing more of. Uh, so those are the two things that we're working on now. I don't know what I personally am doing next. I am probably going to um, Unavowed is probably going to be the last traditional mm-hmm. like pixel art. 2d point and click adventure game I do for a while. I might go back to it, but I kind of feel I've, taken that as far as I can. I enjoy making them, but I am kind of getting a little burnt out on them. I've been doing from them for like almost 13 years. I want to do something different. So I am going to, I've been playing around with unity and seeing what I can do. If, uh, it turns out I don't like doing anything else. I will go back to it. 
But um, as of right now, it's hard to say, right? Unavowed has taken so long to make that mostly my priority is decompressing. <laughs> <laughs> decompressing, uh, gather up my reserves again and, and figure out what I'm going to do next personally. Great. And that actually uh, uh, brings up a really good question that I have that just came into my mind. And that's regarding continuing these stories. As we talked about earlier in terms of Unavowed, in terms of the original structure, it was meant to be this one big game. And mm -hmm. obviously with Blackwell, that was split up due to the time and such. But one of the things about both series is how it always seems like it can be filled with more stories. Again, because of that vignette kind of structure, you can always, you know, you can have five, ten more different episodes oh, in between there. And I'm sure there's that temptation. And I know other writers must have struggled with that as well in terms of how much do you build the story before you're kind of just spinning your wheels around. Okay, it's another element, you know, Vicky's going to be cracking wise. Okay, we're going to repeat <laughs> this for two more episodes. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I did think of maybe, you know, like as a um, as a quick thing, I was thinking of doing, you know, later on, like a quick unavowed side story <laughs> with just Vicky and Logan paired up because <laughs> that's the one pairing you never see in the game because you always have to have Eli or Mandana present. So you never get to see Logan and Vicky together. And I thought that might be fun is to just do as like a, as an add on or a DLC or something, a mission with just those two. But right now I, I just can't even think that yeah. far ahead. I just want to, I just, I want to get this game out and I want to push it as hard as I can. And I want, I don't want to focus on, you know, franchising this out yet <laughs> i want to uh i don't i'm not thinking about you know increasing the brand or uh leveraging the ip i don't want to do that yet mm -hmm. i want to just get this game out i want to hear what people have to say i want to you know i'm excited about it so i don't want to i don't want to get ahead of myself quite yet mm -hmm. and it's interesting that you talk about hopefully in the future having DLC or a side story because I remember from our first cast regarding Blackwell that uh, I think I remember asking you about do you see yourself returning to that universe and I think you kind of said that you kind of did everything that you want that it was time to like put that one to bed well I, I did everything I wanted to do with Blackwell mm -hmm. um, I've definitely returned to the universe because mm -hmm. Unavowed takes place in the same world mm -hmm. and there's references to it um, but there, uh, there's really nothing else for me to say, um, with Blackwell there's, I've said everything I needed to say. Mm -hmm. Unavowed is different. Um, unavowed, I could definitely, I could tell stories with the, un, about the unavowed forever, really, if I wanted to. Um, and I'm not ruling that out. I'm just ruling it out for now. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I've spoken to other developers about that kind of, that kind of almost like a burnout when it comes to a your popular genre, what you've been known for. I remember when I spoke to a Yacht Club games about Shovel Knight and how they're hopefully when they're finished with whatever DLC they have planned, they're going to try something else other than a 2D side scroller. I think the same goes for, um, I don't know if you ever heard of the developer Joy Masher, who did the 2D game Odalis, which was like a very retro inspired, almost Castlevania. 
And I remember I asked him, so do you think your next game will be like a eight bit games? Like, no, I don't want to do that again. I want to try it's funny because like I've definitely worked myself into a nice, comfortable niche Mm -hmm. um, in this for this specific kind of thing. And it seems almost uh, it seems very wrong to 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 branch out of that. But I I need to do it for me, possibly. I I mean, I don't know. Um, I just think that. It would be nice to try something else because it's not like I would do something completely. I wouldn't do a platformer. I wouldn't know the first thing about it. But I have learned a lot about narrative and character work in terms of interactive games. And I could definitely apply that to something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I want to do. I want to do a different kind of game using the skills and knowledge that I've acquired um, making these point-and-click games. Mm-hmm. And if you do get to the point of developing something in 3D along those lines, I definitely would like to talk to you more about how that move from 2D to 3D had altered, like kind of your own sense of design or how you built the game. Well, I know that um, I think about this all the time. I know uh, I went on a um, uh, not a walking simulator binge exactly, <laughs> but I, I have noticed that like um, there's this one section of unavowed, um, in the Bronx, you, if you know, if you played it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and you're going through the house mm-hmm. and the house, I really wanted to tell a story of who lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see pictures on the wall and stuff like that, but it's more like you walk into the room and it's one entire 2d image you see on the screen. You see the whole thing all at once. There's no sense of really exploring it because it's all there right in front of you as soon as you walk into the room and a 3d game can kind of can give that sense of exploration. You can't see the entire room as soon as you enter it. You have to walk around and look under the bed and look at the pictures and open the drawers and you get that more tactile sense of exploring a space, which you don't get in a 2d mm-hmm. game. So that is that is the main difference that I can think of. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I would like to do if I was going to move to 3D. Not saying I'm doing this. <laughs> uh, there's I have nothing planned, mm-hmm. but that is what I've been thinking of in terms of how I would like to um of what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. And that kind of uh, like digging around, like as you said, it's very popular in the quote unquote walking simulator genre. Um, I think the big example right now, it's not, it's not what remains of Edith Finch, is it? Or am I thinking of another one? Um, you're thinking of Gone Home, maybe? Yeah, I'm, uh, Gone Home was the first one. Wasn't there one that just came out like last year, or the year before that, about you exploring the home of like a family that's cursed? Edith Finch, there it yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Like you're not really. Ex- I mean, you are exploring it mm-hmm. definitely. Um, it's there's not a lot of like opening drawers and looking under mm-hmm. beds and things in that <laughs> game. Uh, there's a lot of environmental storytelling in Edith Fish. Yeah. That's great. Um, but yeah, no that that game is brilliant. That game is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And well, that game also has a much bigger budget than, <laughs> than I would ever have. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I guess one thing that I don't think we touched on a little uh, too much, but just to clarify for people watching or listening to us right now, going back to the puzzle design for a minute. Again, we've mm-hmm. talked about your approach and building the both the story and the, the overall sense around the different characters and who you can choose. But for any developers, or specifically any adventure game developers listening to this, 
Were there any like interesting tips or elements you picked up in terms of designing a puzzle saying, okay, this one will be for Eli and Logan, or this one will be for Eli and Vicky, or this puzzle can have, you know, three different solutions or two different solutions and et cetera. Mm. Uh, well, for each, for, uh, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Um, for each puzzle in the game, there is a, I mean, for each combination, there's really only one way of getting through it. Mm-hmm. For each combination, um, so I, I just having multiple situ- uh, solutions for each combination was just impossible. There, there was just it was just so it was very easy to break it. Um, so I had to do a lot of balancing. It's like, oh, um, I know. I think there was this one mission where I realized that um, I had designed for Mandana and Logan, um, uh, but not but not Eli and Logan. So um, I would go through the mission and like Logan would not be used at all. Uh, And I'm like, no, Logan needs to be used. So I needed to like sneak that in, but that could theoretically break something else. But fortunately, well, well, Logan's different because since everything involving Logan involves a ghost and no other character can talk to a ghost, it wasn't, it was hard to break it. So that, that compartmentalized things pretty nicely. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it depends, I guess. I'm not sure if that answered your question. Um, I guess, I think it kind of does. I was just thinking about, I got a little off track. It's <laughs> all right. I was just thinking about in terms of like the actual structure. Cause I was, remember talking to, uh, oh, I hope I didn't butcher his name, uh, Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, who did Thimbleweed Park, and we kind of talked about adventure game puzzle-solving structure there, in terms of, like, thinking about the puzzles in the form of, like, of a lock and key situation. Um, yeah, they, 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 that comes from a, um, that's the old-school approach. Yeah. Like, that's the, you know, you have, like, puzzle dependency charts, and, yeah. you know, you, you really have to map everything out, because the if you look at the, the puzzle charts for something like Thimbleweed Park, which is a huge world, and there's so many different puzzles that all interconnect. Um, there's a lot there. I don't do it that way. That kind of breaks my brain. <laughs> um, I prefer to keep it. Um, I prefer to keep it more narrative focused and people focused. Like, if there is a puzzle, there is a reason for it to be there. There is a logical reason someone put this together in a certain way and you have to get past it using whatever you have. Um, I, I like it to have a logical grounded reason, story based reason to be there. Um, Thimbleweed park is definitely a puzzle based game. Unavowed is a character based game. Mm-hmm. And they always had to be the main focus. Yeah. And I think that does serve unavowed better in terms again of keeping it to these essentially these vignettes. So there's no puzzle that's going to cross, you know, two to three different chapters for the player to no. solve. Well, I designed it that way on purpose because yeah. I kind of um, – like I had my idea of what the backstory was going to be. But I hadn't really fleshed it out really deeply. I find that it's not the best way to design, but I kind of – I just like moving forward and things kind of coalesce as I move forward. And so I deliberately designed the mission structure. So each one was very self-contained. Basically I knew, okay, bad spiritual, bad magical things are happening around the city. You need to fix them. So based on that, I could create these individual stories while in the back of my head, I kind of tweaked out the backstory. And even, and then once I figured out what the backstory is, I could make little tiny, small changes to each of the missions to fit 
without really having to redesign the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I designed it very modularly. Is that the word? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I designed it that way on purpose so I could you know, continually move forward while still hashing out the backstory and overall design. Mm -hmm. All right. I just have one final design question for you, Dave, and then we'll wrap sure. it up. One of the big differences between Unavowed and Blackwell, I think, would have to be with the main character. We've already yes. talked earlier about having you choose the gender and the intro. But mm -hmm. another aspect is the fact that their main character is, for all intents and purposes, a silent protagonist. They're the only one yes. who doesn't talk. The only thing that you really get in terms of a personality is your choice during a dialogue. And obviously, yeah. this is a big difference compared to someone like Rosangela from the Blackwell series and having her basically be more of a presence during the story. And I just want to get your thoughts on that kind of narrative shift from the two games? Well, I guess because um, I figured if I wanted, I wanted the character to be kind of a blank slate. And if you're going to do that, you need to really lean into it. So the fact that the character isn't, it, the character isn't silent. The character just isn't voiced. Mm -hmm. So it's the old kind of mid era Bioware way of doing dialogue where you choose what your character will say, you just select it, and then the other character responds right away without you saying – without your character actually saying the words. So it's a very familiar – something a lot of gamers are familiar with because they played Baldur's Gate and Knights of the Old Republic and the original Dragon Age. It's something they're familiar with, so it's not a complete shock. Um, <clears throat> but I did find it an interesting challenge to write uh, dialogue with that in mind. Because in a traditional, you know, if you have a traditional voiced character, you would like go up to Eli, for example, and say, hi, Eli. And he'd say, oh, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. um, and it would like three lines, you're done. But with Unavowed, I had to write, you know, okay, you want to say something to Eli. You had to have your three introductions. Hello, like, are you okay? Or what are you doing? You know, you have your three lines. And then each of those needs a response from Eli. And then you need to do another response, you know, so they all have to sort of feed into each other. And it took a lot longer to write. Hmm. So folks look at it and think it was a cop out, but no, it was a real challenge to write that way. And I can see why Bioware stopped doing it <laughs> because it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, it's interesting because I felt one thing I really did like about Val was that it seemed to have a quicker pace compared to other adventure games. And yeah. part of that is the fact that there is less dialogue on the player character side. Well, there's also um, one thing I did was that you don't have the – I know in most of the games we've done, you click on an object in the room mm -hmm. and your character says something about it. Yes. Um, they give you the description. And I sidestepped that by doing the mouse overs. You mouse over an object and you see the description at the bottom of the screen. And now it's a way of kind of keeping the flow going. You're not, you're not constantly waiting for your character to finish telling you what they're seeing. You can kind of glance at it and read it while you're doing other things. And something I appreciated from a game called Stasis, I, I stole it from him, um, Chris Bischoff. I've, we've talked about it. He's cool with it. <laughs> I'm like, I stole that from you. He's like, it's totally fine. So yeah, I, I love that about stasis that you could walk around while still getting the descriptions of things and you could ignore them if you wanted to and not feel like you're missing anything, which is something I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And I'm curious to see, like, when, again, we're recording this a week before Unavowed comes out, but I'm curious to see what people think about that. Because, like, for me, I enjoy that as well, just because I'm a faster reader. So I can just immediately move my mouse around and see everything, as opposed to having to stop and listen and, as you said, kind of break the flow of the game. Yeah, I mean, it can. It's something that I used to, you try to make each description interesting, but at the same time, like, it can get – I know me, I get a little impatient. I'm a lot more impatient as I've gotten older with games. I don't want them to waste my time <laughs> and I'm trying to like – I just want to keep moving. And so that's that was my design choice. I wanted to keep it moving. All right. Well, I think with that, we are – I think I'm about out of questions. Again, we could talk more about the general choices of the game, but that would take us into serious spoiler territory. <laughs> So, to wrap things up for today, Dave, in terms of Unavowed, again, it will be available on Steam. For people listening to us right now, what other platforms will be coming out on, or are there any new ones planned? It'll be on Steam, it'll be on GOG, it'll be on Humble. Mm -hmm. Do you see it going to consoles at any point in the future? I wouldn't. I mean, every day I get two or three messages <laughs> saying, hey, are you porting to Switch? And it's like, I wish, because it's like a license to print money at the moment. But I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to begin doing that. Uh, so as of now, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think with that, we'll wrap things up. For those of you listening to this cast right now, if you want to hear more of Dave and I talking about Unavowed Adventure Game Design, be sure to listen to our archived live cast we did a few months ago. And be sure to check out my review of Unavowed, which should be up by the time you're listening to this. So uh, for you, Dave, again, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you this well, for where Thank I'm you. at, it's kind of a dreary afternoon. I'm not sure how the weather uh, is in New York. It's not so nice here either. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully things will improve in the next week. So, again, congratulations with getting Unavowed Finish, and I wish you, you the best of luck with the game's release or with it being released by the time people listening. <laughs> right on. So, with that said, we're going to wrap things up for this week's episode of the Perceptive Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like support Game Wisdom and what I do, we have several options available. To write a guest piece for the site or be a future podcast guest, you can find information and links under Submissions Wanted on our front page, or shoot me an email, josh at game-wisdom.com. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer for thoughts and updates throughout the day. And be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash GWBicer, where you'll be able to get access to ad-free versions of our live talks and more features over on the Game Wisdom YouTube channel, where I put up videos and discussions there. But, um, oh, and we also have our Discord channel now open at the basic tier for everyone. You'll find that over on the Patreon. And actually, uh, one other thing for you, Dave, for people who want to follow Wadgetai or you on social media, do you have any places you like to plug? <laughs> uh, I have a Twitter, Wadgetai Games. I also have a website, WadgetiGames.com. Also, I'm on Facebook, Dave Gilbert, uh, or Wadgetai Games there as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm very, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it. So once again, thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to tune in next time for another discussion about the art and craft of game design. But until then, have a good day.